Hey, good morning, Harvest Church. So glad to be here. Open your Bibles up to uh, Psalm 46, and uh, I'll meet you there in a minute. I'm really thankful for the opportunity to be here for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, I'm thankful to be here in this place. Uh, Port Sydney, Ontario is where uh, the two most important relationships in my life uh, were started. Uh, at Camp Minioe on Mary Lake is where I met the Lord Jesus Christ at six years old at Shemawa at, uh, at junior camp there. And then about uh, 12 years later, I met uh, the second love of my life, Lindsay, uh, my wife of uh, what's going to be 20 years uh, this July. And so I love uh, coming back uh, to, this, uh, to this place. I'm also thankful to be here, uh, not just because of the place, but because of the people. Uh, Mark and Kathy Ormiston were actually founding members of uh, Hope Church Mississauga, where, uh, where, I'm, the, where I'm the pastor. And uh, I remember uh, first uh, when we were, we were part of the, uh, the Hope Bible Church community in Oakville, and uh, we're planting a church in what was originally going to be in Brampton, now we're in Mississauga, and getting this sweet email from a woman named Kathy offering to look after our one-year-old child, who's now a 14, and, and, and I didn't even know who she was, and she, she said, we're... we're, we're Part of that, we want to be part of this church. We want to look after your, uh, your children. Uh, I don't think I ever had uh, my child stay with you, Kathy, because you were a stranger at that point. Uh, but now, uh, now I would trust you guys uh, with, uh, with my life. So I'm very honored to be here um, and to uh, celebrate uh, with, uh, with Mark and with Kathy. I, uh, Mark and Kathy aren't the only uh, people uh, at this church that mean uh, a great deal to me. Kai and Libby Ballantyne mean the world to uh, Lindsay and I. And, uh, and, and we understand that it's been a very challenging time for, uh, for their family and for this uh, church family. And so I, I am uh, really honored uh, to be invited here to speak just in, a, in the midst of a really difficult and challenging time. Uh, for uh, for uh, this church, and so I want to uh, I, I want to allow God's word uh, to speak to us. I I normally don't do this. I don't know if this is a tradition here, but I think just out of a reverence for God's word, I want to invite us to stand as I read to you a Psalm forty six. Psalm forty six to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamo. A song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation in the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. We come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, asking right now that what is about to take place would not merely be a man talking about God, but God, Lord, you speaking through a man, Lord. I pray that you would be with my mouth. I pray that you would allow me to speak only that which would build up the body of Christ. I pray that you would be with my mind, protect me from pride, protect me from the fear of man, Lord, protect me from all of the different things that would be swirling in my mind or my heart right now. God, I pray that you would be with all of our ears, and that we would hear your voice speaking through your living and active word, and that you would transform our hearts, Lord. There are things that we need to learn. We pray that you would teach us. There are things about us that need to change, and so I pray that you would transform us. And Lord, there are things about, about you and about our world and about our lives that we're still holding on to, and we, we need to give them to you. So God, I pray that you would help us. So we pray for your, your help and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. The psalm begins by mentioning that it's, uh, it's written to the, to the choir master. Uh, that's the Eric Hallowell, you know, of uh, the, 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 this was the worship leader, the one who was getting uh, together all of, the, all of the musicians. And I'm so thankful for the musicians who led us uh, this morning. And then it mentions the sons of Korah. Um, these, these words here in all capitals, it's part of the inspired text. Uh, this isn't something that the, you know, crossway added. Uh, th- this, this is part of the ins- inspired word of God. We're supposed to recognize that this was written uh, by the sons of Korah. So I want to I, I geek out here for a minute and invite you to turn to the book of Numbers. If you don't know where the book of Numbers is, just find your your bookmark from your New Year's resolution to read through the Bible. It's somewhere around, it's somewhere around Numbers. Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. Korah was a relative of Moses and Aaron. You know, they would have, you know, shared a tent during family reunions and uh, hung out with one another. They grew up together. Korah eventually didn't really like how much attention Moses and Aaron were getting. Numbers 16, verse 1, it says, Now Korah, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi. See, they're all from the tribe of Levi. And Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation chosen from the assembly, well-known men. He's, he's gathering a, a block. He's, he's gathering a, a, a party. Verse 3, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And then what happens next is very, very important. Verse 4, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. This is the sermon before the sermon, but it's, it's, it's worth saying. Mark, you're going to face challenges as an elder. 
Ty, you've been around long enough to know you face a lot of challenges as a pastor and as an elder. Congregation, you're going to, your church family, we're going to face challenges. If you're looking for someone to follow, follow the person when a challenge comes, falls on their face before the Lord. Some of us want to run towards the, towards the leader who wants to stand up and fight. Or wants to, to flee and to run away and somehow seem spiritual in that way. No, don't look for the leader who fights. Don't look for the leader who flees. Look for the leader who falls on their face before the Lord. Because what God does next, Moses couldn't have manufactured this. Fighting doesn't do what happens next. Verse, skip ahead to verse 20. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among the congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. Verse 22, here it is again. And they fell on their faces. Then look down at verse 32. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up. Korah and the whole rebellion. That's something God alone can do. God fights our battles for us. Look, look at, skip ahead now to Numbers chapter 26 uh, and verse 11. The book of Numbers begins with a bunch of numbers and it ends with a bunch of numbers and it's a bunch of lists of names and that's probably why you gave up <laughs> on your New Year's resolution when you got to Numbers. But if you look at chapter 26, verse 11, we're told something interesting. Verse 11, it says, but the sons of Korah did not die. So Korah died in the rebellion, but his kids were spared. And then these sons of Korah show up in a couple of other places. And in 1 Chronicles 9, verse 19, when they're delegating responsibilities among the Levites, it says the Korahites were in charge of the work of the service, keepers of the threshold of the tent. They were the greeters. The threshold is the front door. And so it was the sons of Korah who were to welcome people into the holy presence of God, the holy presence that destroyed their ancestor. And they were the ones who were to welcome people. They were the doorkeepers. You know that psalm that says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness? That was written by the sons of Korah. They wrote Psalm 42, Psalm 43. All of, most of our favorite psalms are actually written by the sons of Korah. And then they show up in this other interesting moment. When, uh, remember when Jehoshaphat, there's like this sneak attack, and, uh, and, and there's, there's these armies marching from the south, and Jehoshaphat has this strange battle plan to send the worship leaders out front. Hey, get all the guys with the scarves and the skinny jeans. Let's put them at the front of the army. In, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're told that Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord. Spiritual leaders fall on their face before God in moments of crisis. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites, the sons of Korah, stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So these sons of Korah became, they, they were part of the usher team. <laughs> they welcomed people at the front door. And then they also became singer-songwriters. They, they also uh, started writing psalms to teach the people of God. And they wrote Psalm 46. Turn, turn back there with me now. And Psalm 46 tells us 
that God's presence is a source of strength and security in every situation. God's presence is a source of strength and security in every situation. Just a couple of structural notes about the psalm. You notice as I was reading it, uh, there are two selahs. Uh, and, and those selahs divide the psalm into three uh, clear sections. You can also notice that verse uh, 7 and verse 11 are identical. So that's like the psalm, that's like the, sorry, the chorus or the refrain of the song. It also mentions that this song was written uh, according to the Alamoth in the introductory notes. Um, uh, Alamoth can mean uh, according to, to the lilies. Um, Alamoth also means young women. This was a song that was to be sung by young women. I see some young women who are here. And in times of crisis, that this psalm was to be sung. The young women in the church were supposed to stand up and tell the church to, to trust in God. So God's presence is a source of strength and security in every situation and all of the ups and downs of leadership. Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes today, jot this down, that we can be courageous because of God's protection. We can be courageous because of God's protection. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A refuge is a place that is elevated and inaccessible. That when we rely on God, God puts us in a place where our enemy cannot access us because we are elevated and inaccessible. But he doesn't put us in that place just so that we'll somehow be passive completely. Yes, the leader is supposed to fall on their face before God. Yes, they are supposed to seek refuge in God. And in the ups and downs of trying to serve the Lord, we will seek him as a refuge. But he's not only a refuge, he is also a strength. God not only wants to protect his people, but he also wants to empower his people to do hard things. It's not simply just running to God and falling on earth, but also trusting in him to do difficult things. And then it says that God is a very present help in trouble. The footnote in my Bible says, well proved. A very a present simply means that that. God's easy to find. God's easy to, this isn't one of those, where are you God psalms? No, he's very present. He's, he's right there. It's kind of like looking for a Tim Hortons in Hamilton, Ontario, okay? I grew up in the east end of, uh, in the east end of Hamilton, uh, in, in Steeltown, and right beside my elementary school was the first Tim Hortons restaurant ever open, and it stayed it stayed open because of the shop teacher at Memorial Elementary School. Because he would send us, as grade six and seven students, he'd give us money and send us over to get him a duchy and a double-double. And the, 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 the ubiquitous nature of Tim Hortons across Canada started in Hamilton. If, if you're in Hamilton, Tim Hortons are so very present in Hamilton you don't, if you're looking for a coffee and you drive by a Tim Hortons, you don't worry. You just keep going because there's going to be another one in 30 seconds. People say, well, we, we, met at, you know, we met at Tim Hortons. Oh, you met at Tim Hortons? Yeah, we weren't at the same Tim Hortons. I was at this Tim Hortons walking out and I saw you in the window in the other Tim Hortons across the street. 
very present. That's like the Lord, that he is very present. And sometimes everything else needs to be taken away from us in order to recognize that it's him who has been there all the time. And that's what's happening in the psalm. Verse two says, therefore we will not fear. And it was, sometimes we describe worst case scenario situations in our head, right? And, and there's, a, there's a health crisis or there's a problem at the church or there's a problem with our kids or, and we start running through, running through our mind. Okay, worst case, worst case scenario, how would I respond? Could the scenario get any worse than this? Though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though, the, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You see what's going on here? So here is a mountain, a universal symbol for strength and permanence, right? And then here is water. Which, which can be used as a symbol for a number of different things, cleansing and purity, all of that sort of thing. But, but water for the Hebrew people is a symbol of chaos and instability. I mean, the creation order was God in, on day two separating the waters from the waters and creating the expanse of the heavens and then allowing land to be established among the water so that people could live. All throughout the Psalms, all throughout the prophets, there's images of floods. There's, there's images of chaos related to water. And now, what is happening? What's the image here in the Psalm? The mountain is being moved into the heart of the sea. The symbol for stability is moving and it's being, it's being enveloped in the symbol of chaos. It seems like chaos is winning. Many times in our life, it feels like chaos and, and evil is winning. But because God is very present, it says in verse 2, therefore we will not fear. Even though the very symbol of stability and security, it's almost like Psalm 46 is describing like an uncreation. Things are falling apart, and yet they say they will not fear. Sometimes you watch the news and you, you, think, you think our world is falling apart. You know, a wildfire here, a, a flood uh, uh, there, earthquakes or then you look at the, the political situation and, and nation rising up against nation and wars and rumors of war and we feel like the world is falling apart. And then we look at the, the political situation. And you, you spend 30 seconds on social media, which is still too long, and you feel like the world is falling apart. And, 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 and then you look at our culture and what our kids are being taught in university and then, and then those Kids grow up and become teachers in public schools, and we, 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 we see it feels like our world is falling apart. The, the very solid things about what it means to be a human being or to be a man or a woman, all of these things are being moved and cast into the sea. It seems like chaos is winning. And then sometimes it gets a little closer to home, you know? Like the, the health that you've taken for granted for for so long, and just simple things like putting one foot in front of the other, right? You, you used to do it without even thinking, and, and now 
that's been thrown into the sea or just drawing oxygen into your lungs. Or maybe it's not you. Maybe it's someone who you love and care about. And it's like you're watching this person disintegrate in front of you. And they were once a symbol of, of stability for you. And then they're cast into the sea. Or maybe it's your job or your, your bank account, this steady source of income. And everyone has a budget. you got money coming in and money going out. And then all of a sudden, there's way less coming in than needs to go out. And then this great church that you go to. And then there's some, a lot of confusing things going on. And, and, and people or leaders that you were trusting. And you, you, there's so much confusion. It feels like confusion and chaos is winning. Listen, loved ones, you need, you need to remember that God is very present. He is very present. And therefore, we will not fear. We can be courageous. Then verse 3 ends with that Hebrew phrase, Selah. We we don't know what Selah means. The the, the closest sort of transliteration is is there's a similar Hebrew word that means lift up. So it's like like a break where, you know, maybe the, the, the instrumentalists were supposed to lift up their hands. It's like a rest, like a musical notation. Or that we're supposed to lift up our voices in a, in a key change. Or to lift up our eyes uh, to heaven. But there are these, int- we see it all over the Psalms. There's these intentional moments just to say, just take that in for a second. So just take a breath, just take that in. It seems like chaos is winning, but we can be courageous. Because God is very present, Selah. So we can be courageous because of God's protection. Secondly, we can be glad because of God's presence. We can be glad because of God's presence. Verse 4 says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. It talks about a river Verse 2 and verse 3 talks about water out of control, swallowing up the mountains. The mountains are drowning in the sea. And now we have this picture of a river in a city, a river under control, not flooding over the banks, but bringing joy to everyone who lives in this city. And it's the city of God, the city of Jerusalem. But here's here's the strange thing. Unless the sons of Korah were like geographically challenged, like there's no river in Jerusalem. There's the Gihon Spring that, you know, filled the pool of Siloam where Jesus performed miracles. Hezekiah dug this, this, um, uh, this tunnel that, was, that, that, that brought water to Jerusalem, but it was kind of underground and tourists, I don't know why you would want to do this, tourists crawl through this tunnel? Think there's better things you could do on your vacation? Like rent a ski-doo or something. What are you doing? But there's, there's no, in, in fact, like this was one of the major tactical vulnerabilities for the city of Jerusalem. This is what Sennacherib tried to take advantage of, the king of Assyria, when he invaded Israel. One of the other soldiers, it sounds crass, but one of the soldiers taunted the people of Israel saying that you're going to have to drink your own urine. 
because they knew they had the city under siege and they knew that they were going to run out of water. So there's no river in Jerusalem. There's no river in the holy city. It's because the sons of Korah are talking about something that flows deeper than a natural river. The, the, the sons of Korah here are tapping into a theme that runs from cover to cover in Scripture. It's, it's, remember, it's the river that flows in God's holy habita- habitation where God dwells. And the dwelling place of God starts in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 2, we're told about a, a river that flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And then in uh, Ezekiel chapter 47, we're given this sort of eschatological picture of the temple, the presence of God. And we're told, then he brought me to the back door of the temple and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple. Everything, sorry, everything will live where the river goes. On both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, their fruit nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary, from the presence of God, from the temple flows this river. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. The, the, the prophet Joel taps in on the, into the same idea. He says, a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8. On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem. This is not geographically true, but it is spiritually true that from the presence of God, rivers of living water flow. And then you fast forward to the very end in the book of Revelation, just like the Garden of Eden, it says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. The current city of Jerusalem doesn't have a river. But the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth will have a river of the water of life. The river is a a symbol, this life-giving symbol of the presence of God. And loved ones, here's here's the great news for us today. Whether you, I mean, a lot of you are probably like, I live on a river. I know, I wish I did, but I don't. I live in Brampton. But no matter where you live, it doesn't matter where you live, it matters who lives in you. Because the Lord Jesus Christ made this amazing statement in John chapter 7 where he said, listen, does does anyone thirst? Is anyone thirsty? And then he says in John 7 verse 38, whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, what scripture? All the scriptures I just talked to you about. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Because if you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, if you know that you deserve to die and be under the wrath of God for your rebellion against him, but have placed your faith in the Son of God who died, in the, died on the cross as your substitute, if that is true of you, then your heart is no longer just a heart and your body is no longer just a body, that you are now a temple of the living God. And just like the temple in Ezekiel and in Joel and in Zechariah had a river flowing out, 
out of it. You now have a river of life flowing out of you. And listen, it doesn't matter what difficult valley you go through or what circumstance or situation that you face. Wherever you go, God goes with you. And that river of life is what strengthens you and sustains you. God is in the midst of her, verse 5. She shall not be moved. The city will not be moved. Notice the contrast. The mountain is being moved. But the city, the people who trust in God are not. The mountains are moved. The people are not. And the difference is the spirit of God. And then I love what verse 5 says. God will help her when morning dawns. God will help her when morning dawns. You know, on... Unless you like lived in the Yukon, uh, every time you go to sleep, you're always like 10 to 12 hours away from daylight. I know sometimes in these cold Canadian winters, it feels like it's dark forever, but dawn is always coming. And you may be in a dark season right now, and you just got to acknowledge it's nighttime, but it's not night forever. It's not like Narnia, always winter and never Christmas. It's not always dark. It says that he will come to you at dawn. We might stay up all night worrying about this or about that, but we never stay up all night being like, oh man, I wonder if the sun's gonna come up tomorrow. It's, it's that consistent. Yes, there are valleys, but God leads us through them. Yes, there is darkness, but dawn does come. I went through a very difficult challenge in my own personal life, which overflowed into my ministry calling. It's almost 10 years ago now. Isn't that hard to believe, Mark? And Mark and Kathy were there for me in such a powerful way. I had to step away from my role for six months. And I I remember when it was so live, and I thought, it's only been like five or six days since this has happened. And I remember, like, when is it ever going to be like a year? When can I ever say last year? Because right now it's like last week. And I just want more time. But listen, dawn eventually came. And it's hard for me to, to actually believe. It's, it's, it's 10 years in my past now. But dawn came. It was a dark time. But dawn came. Dawn will come. God will help her when morning dawns. Verse six, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. I love that all the saber rattling and all the, all the soldiers are there and they're all tottering and saying, we're gonna do this and we're gonna redefine that and do, and God, all, God just, he just speaks and the whole earth melts. And then the, the first chorus, verse seven, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah, lift up. So again, just take a minute, just receive what God's saying to you right now about the darkness and about the dawn, about the dry season you may be in, but the river that is inside of you because the Spirit lives inside of you. So we can be courageous because of God's protection. We can be glad because of God's presence. And then lastly, we can be still because of God's plan. We can be still because of God's plan. 
The psalmist begins to build some momentum here now. Verse 8, he's getting pumped. He says, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. God is going to bring peace. War is going to end. He's not going to end by negotiation. He's going to end by conquest because he's the victor and he wins. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. It's not this back and forth epic battle. He just walks up to the aircraft carriers and the machine guns and the tomahawk helicopters and he just snaps them in half. He just breaks them all in pieces. And the battle's over. He burns the chariots with fire. And then verse 10, he says, be still and know that I am God. I got to be careful with verse 10. Because verse 10 is a, it's a coffee mug verse, right? Like seven out of 10 of us have in our cupboard right now a mug with like a loon on a lake or a kitten in a rainbow. And it says, be still and know that I am God. I don't want you to go home and smash your coffee cup, but I wonder if our understanding of Psalm 46 is more therapeutic than it is theocentric. Therapeutic in the sense that, oh, be still and know that I'm God. I pour my cup of coffee in the quiet morning and you live on a river. I know, I know, it's better, I know. I wish I lived here. <laughs> and you get your Bible open and you're just still. And if your approach to the word of God and to your personal quiet time is solely therapeutic, then there's a real danger in that. Because if it's just about you getting your quiet time, and if the only reason why there is a Bible and there is a God is to somehow calm yourself down and to deal with your anxiety, as great as that is, that's not the whole picture. We need to move from the therapeutic to the theocentric. You see, God says, God says be still and know. He, he, he wants to... He wants to tell you some things. He wants you to sit still so that you can hear his voice, to know that he's God. Not that you're God and God and the Bible are there to help you fulfill your life. It's not about, God's not the supporting actor. God is the main character. It's not about getting God to help you with your thing. It's about you Getting on to God's thing. So be still and know who God is. And then to know that he will be exalted. And that when the mountain is thrown into the sea, and when chaos seems to be winning, and when we go through a season of darkness or of dryness, or things are so hard and so difficult, it's so reorienting for us to understand, isn't it, that this isn't about me. 
that the end game here is that God, will, he says it twice, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's about God and his glory. So there's a, there's a, there, there's a doxological element to it. There's, there's a worship that whatever we're going through, that God must be glorified. And that that's his purpose and that that's his plan. Be still because of God's plan. That he would be exalted, but also that he would be exalted among the nations and he would be exalted in the earth. There's a doxological element to it, but there's also a, a missiological element to it. That we're called to worship, but we're also called to witness to the world. That there's a mission that we're supposed to be on here in uh, Huntsville and, and Port Sydney and Bracebridge. We're, we're supposed to be spreading the message of the goodness and the greatness of God to the ends of the earth. And then verse 11 says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress in Selah. God says he will be exalted among the nations. God's heart has always been from the nations, from the call of Abraham, that his offspring would be a blessing to all nations, to Jesus commissioning his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations to Revelation where there's a gathering of people from every tribe and language and tongue and nation. Again, Psalm 46 is not therapeutic. It's not just about us. It's theocentric. It's all about God and his glory. Let's just talk briefly about this chorus that gets repeated in verse 7 and verse 11. Two titles given to God. The God of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts. That means uh, the mighty God, the God of angel armies. The God who has all of the power. The God who can destroy the chariots and break the bow and shatter the spear. But it also says that he's the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob, it gets repeated twice here. I think the sons of Korah appreciated the title, the God of Jacob. See, Abraham was known for his great faith, and Isaac was known for his obedience to carry the very wood of his sacrifice up the mountain with his father. But, I mean, what was Jacob known for? I mean, Jacob was like a bit of a dumpster fire. Guy cheats his own brother out of his inheritance, lies and deceives his elderly blind brother, multiple children with multiple wives, plays favorites, but his, his name meant someone who grabs the heel, someone who trips you. But God played the long game with Jacob, didn't he? There's lots of ups and downs. But towards the end of Jacob's life, you see a man who's, he's, he's fallen on his face before the Lord. And this chorus just beautifully sums up who this God is who has promised to be present with us. He's the mighty God, the Lord of hosts. He's also the merciful God, the God of Jacob. And, and we don't see the, the mightiness of God and the mercy of God any more clearly than at the cross of Jesus Christ. 
where we see the Son of God suffering and dying in our place, where we see his mercy being poured out on us as sinners. And we're told that this God, the Lord of hosts, and and the God of Jacob, that he is with us. Don't miss that in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. He is very present. When Jesus first showed up on the scene, they said his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus ascended into heaven, before he left, he said, surely I am with you to the end of the age. Selah. Think about who has promised to be with us. A God who is mighty and a God who is merciful. And he is here with us right now. And he will lead us through whatever the Lord has in store. I'm going to invite the worship team to join us again here on the platform. I'm going to pray for us now. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who is merciful and mighty. And Lord, in a room this size, I know that individually there are all kinds of situations and circumstances where people are trusting in you to come through. And Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to be very present, that you would show yourself to be the fortress who has promised to be with us. And Lord, collectively, as a church family, there are some, there are some challenges. There, are, there is some, some work to be done, some reflecting that needs to happen, some repenting that needs to take place. But Lord, I pray that that river of life that dwells inside of all of us who have called on the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, I, I pray that that river would take something that seems like chaos and would bring it to order, would take something that seems like darkness and bring light, would take something that seems like death and would bring life, and take something that seems like the end and start a new beginning. God, help us to be courageous. Help us to be filled with joy. And God, help us to be still. And help us to not try to get you on board with what we are doing. But God, help us to get on board with what you are doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.